Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. I heard it on the radio as we were going to to the hospital, and I, and I kind of just knew at that moment that, that Rob, Rob wasn't around anymore. Welcome back to another episode of Live Through That, the podcast where influential artists of the 80s and 90s talk to us about a pivotal moment in their lives. I'm your host, Mike Hipple, and this week I'm pleased to welcome Tim Burgess to the show. Besides being the frontman for The Charlatans, he's also a prolific solo artist and founder slash coordinator of Tim's Listening Party, a Twitter-based event he started during the pandemic, which was a huge success, and frankly, such a good idea, it's amazing that it hadn't been done before. Today, Tim tells us about how his relationship with bandmate Rob Collins and his sudden death in 1996 affected the course of his life. I was in a band called The Electric Crayon Set and we supported the Charlatans. Um, And this was before... This was like that when they were a four piece, a different singer who played guitar. And um, I opened for them, my, my band, and Rob on that night decided he wanted me in the band. Um, it was kind of a different style of music, really. I, I, was, I was in a band that mostly played like cover versions Iggy Pop, The Cult. Um, uh, Led Zeppelin cover versions and <laughs> um, did a couple of her own songs, but I think he saw something in me that um, nobody else really, uh, you know, was, was sure about. And basically the timing couldn't have been more perfect because after that show or uh, pretty, pretty quickly after that show, the singer guitarist from the original Charlatans left. And it was like my chance to go and kind of walk in, really. Um, Rob not only wanted to work with me, but kind of like 
would let me stay at his house. I mean, we did share. I stayed at John Brooks's house quite a lot, and Martin Blunt's mum made me my dinner uh, for for many a time. But the times that I really remember the most was staying with Rob, and we'd watch the Beatles videos over and over and over again. And he really liked kind of classic stuff, and uh, and I was kind of a bit more... I guess I was into dance music at the time and, and I'd kind of grown up on indie and and, and, and punk uh, kind of music and, you know, whatever we came up with together uh, kind of worked. Um, and, and he was musically gifted, the most musically gifted member of the band. Um, you know, he was really good with harmonies as well. Um, he liked Dave Greenfield, the keyboard player of The Stranglers. He liked Brian Auger, um, the keyboard player from Brian Auger, Julie Driscoll and the Trinity. Uh, he liked John Lord from Deep Purple. These were all kind of people that I wasn't really into. <laughs> um, but somehow we made it work. And for the you know for a long time, for the first album especially, you know, it was all about Rob. He double-tracked every single note on the Hammond organ. We we put like one, you know, uh, one, you know, one recording on kind of one side of the speaker and the other recording on the other. And it just made this like Hammond organ, like um symphony that I don't know whether it really, a record had really been made like that before, but um, you know, I certainly hadn't heard one at the time we were making it, but um, I don't know. Rolling Stone magazine said um, keyboardist of the year, number one, Rob Collins, you know, it was like, he was everywhere. He kind of turned a vintage kind of instrument into something progressive and, and, and new. And he was like the, the lead soloist. He, lots of his, you know, his vocals are on every single song, backing vocals. Sometimes he's a lot louder than me. He was a better singer than me. Um, he, certainly, he certainly knew how to, you know, get in the studio and just like uh, lose all inhibitions. And uh, and I needed that, you know, as a guide, really. I was kind of, you know, I, I knew I had something to do with the band, but I didn't really know what, I didn't really know whether I had something to say particularly. Uh, you know, I was quite happy to stand aside and let, uh, and, you know, we did Indian Rope was our first single. It was like seven minutes long and it was mostly Hammond organ solo, you know, um, uh, based on I Shot the Sheriff and uh, I, don't, I don't know, uh, uh, something, I don't know, a Deep Purple song or something. But um, uh, the only one I know was a Hammond organ. It, it was all about him. And then with the second album, um, that's when things started to change, really. He kind of gave up the Hammond and wanted to kind of be a pianist and wanted the guitarist to take over and, you know, Mark joined the band and he took over and it became more, with the exception of Weirdo, of course, between 10th and 11th is mostly a guitar record, uh, in my opinion. Um, and then we went to Japan and we toured that album all over the world and it was pretty successful. And then he came back from, we came back from Japan and I got a phone call saying that Rob had been arrested for uh, possession of firearms and that he was in jail and uh, we needed to, we needed to bail him out. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, what has happened? You know, I just couldn't work out. This is just like so alien, you know, but um, it was, uh, it kind of turned out that it was a little, well, it was, you know, it was very serious um, police on the roof of his house with guns, you know, sort of like pointing at him, sort of like when he came in and dropped his car off. He was the, uh, he was the driver of a getaway car of an armed robbery. Uh, which was, you know, a huge, huge thing. And he went to jail for it. When he came out of prison, um, 
he um it was kind of changed yeah it picked up some it picked up some bad habits let's say you know a, a bit self-destructive habits and um and he came out and he was kind of very apologetic but, but very kind of like um his demeanor had changed completely he was more withdrawn kind of you know got more into drugs and um you know, and it, 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 it was weird how kind of jail really changed him, you know. You know, he was in a cell for, for half of it and and then in an open prison for the other half. And the open prison was a lot worse, apparently, because, you know, anyone could do anything to anybody. So, you know, it was quite, it was, it was, it was quite terrifying, I think. Well, I'm, I'm sure. After that, he kind of, we made us, in some people's opinions, our best record, which was an album we called The Charlatans. We thought, we thought we'd all kind of regroup and, you know, really kind of like try and make our best album. Because he, he didn't record on the whole of the album before because he had to go to prison <laughs> and we had to finish the album. So we recorded on Up To Our Hips, the album, uh, the, before the charlatans um he played on i think six out of ten of the tracks but i mean the ones he played on were just amazing but uh, you know but it was kind of a rush to record because we knew he was going to prison so we did our album the charlatans and it was really successful it was uh, in, in the uk and europe it was really successful japan lots of great tracks on it he really showed his skills off again, piano and Hammond, harmonies. Uh, we wrote some great songs together, Just When You're Thinking Things Over, Tell Everyone, Toothache, you know, really great stuff. And then we started, because we, we were on, we felt like we were, you know, kind of at our peak or a peak. We went pretty much straight back in and started uh, with telling stories and we had How High and one to another, North Country Boy, all written um, with no shoes. Just wonderful songs that we're all still really proud of to this day. So we were all feeling really confident with the album. And then one night, me and Rob had a kind of an argument and it was... It was kind of a bad one, really. It was, it, it, it was, he'd, you know, what, during the making of the album, he'd started to kind of go, you know, go, go clubbing a lot, which was fantastic. You know, you, you know, anyone can go clubbing. Amazing, if that's what you're into. But he would kind of like come to the studio at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning and want to work. And then everyone else was kind of like, you know, wanting to work, I mean, not early in the morning, but like 11 o'clock till, you know, 11 o'clock till two o'clock, you know, or something like that. But um, it was just a bit weird, really. So we, but that's the way he wanted to work. So we employed another engineer who would work that shift with him. So we were doing two different shifts. He would leave us stuff. He would do stuff that, that we, we kind of thought was solo Rob stuff. And then we'd leave stuff on the board for him to kind of like work on when we were in bed. 
that just didn't work out at all. That was really negative. That that idea. Anyway, so I had a, had a big argument with him about about it all. He went he went back to see his uh, daughter um, for the weekend, and then came back on the Monday. On that Monday, it was um, our engineer who we'd employed to work just with Rob. It was his birthday. So we went out and uh, we went to into the village of Monmouth. We were recording at a place called Mono Valley um, in, in Rockfield, uh, Monmouthshire. And um, we went to, you know, the, the, uh, to get a drink. And um, we left and uh, we saw this car following us. And we th- presumed it was Rob. And then all of a sudden the lights disappeared and I just thought he'd gone off to go and get some cigarettes. About two hours later, the police turned up at our studio and we got a call simultaneously from an engineer who we were working with called Dave Charles, who said that Rob had been in an accident and the police turned up and and, and pretty much said, how old was he? And at that point, we, me and Mark were just like looking at each other thinking, how old was he? You know, it's like, what's going on here? And he said, well, you've got to go to the hospital. So we went to the hospital and we were told that Rob was was dead. You know, it's pretty crazy. On the way there, uh, we just released one to another. Um, it was just about to come out as a single. And I heard it on the radio as we were going to to the hospital. And I, and I kind of just knew at that moment that, that Rob, Rob wasn't around anymore. Rob Collins died on July 22, 1996, just before the Charlatans' fifth album, Tellin' Stories, was released. It also happened a mere few weeks before the Charlatans were to play one of their biggest gigs to date at Nebworth, opening for Oasis. The next moment was that, you know, we had a lot of people around us and there was a phone call that I answered. And it was um, our PR people, a guy called Jeff Barrett, who has a company called Heavenly that's still going and still really great. And he said to me, um, you know, this gig that you got with Oasis in a couple of weeks, I said, yeah, he goes, well, you know, we're going to, obviously we're going to cancel it, right? And he said, no, you're going to play it. And I said, how are we going to play it without Rob Collins? How are we going to do it? It's like 120,000 people. How are we going to play it? And he said, well, Bobby Gillespie from Primal Scream has just been on the phone. And he said, Martin Duffy will play the keyboards for us. And he said, you've got to do it or else I can see you not doing anything for a while and it'll be harder and harder and harder you've got to do it and I thought that was an amazing I mean in hindsight well it was amazing advice um it was very difficult to comprehend how we were going to do it at the time uh, but we were already making plans that we had to kind of continue and 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 that was amazing you know we had Rob's parents in the kitchen uh, we had people crying all around us, that, yet there was plans kind of like to how we were going to be able to move it forward and how we were going to like, you know, be able to allow Rob's, Rob's name to continue, you know, and it was a massive thing. 
There's a rather famous photo of Tim arriving at Nebworth via helicopter from photographer Tom Sheehan. I love this photo, and Tim had recently tweeted about it. In his tweet, he said that everything in that photo makes him smile. I wanted to ask him about that moment. Okay, so the actual fact that I arrived in a gig, uh, I arrived at a gig in a helicopter uh, in that in that jacket um, made me smile. It was kind of like we had to show the world that we could continue as a band. However, we all knew that it could all um, just uh, end in tears. You know, it could just we we could go on stage in front of all these people and just be the worst band in the world. You know. However, we wanted to go on there and prove to people that we were the best band in the world. And and that's what we did. And I think the helicopter in some ways was significant. I mean, we, you know, it wasn't our, our manager spent our, our money and, <laughs> and got us a helicopter. However, I think it was, I always thought that it was because of the traffic. You know, there's so much traffic coming into the show. But, um, but. I think it was in some ways to make us feel really great and, and powerful and, and, and to, because we had to prove to the world that we could continue. And that, that, that it's just a picture of someone so determined, you know. The show at Nebworth was a triumph and Tell and Stories became the biggest selling record of the band's career. But the next decade was difficult for Tim. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Uh, I gave up drinking 10 years after Rob's death, not on the actual date, but around 10 years after. And I just always have to kind of like, in some way, understand why I just went on a kind of like 10 year party or 10 year, you know, 10 year inebriated for 10 years, you know. Um, I mean, not every day, but, you know, in uh, for the most part. I was just getting wasted. And I think it was down to the loss of Rob. I think, you know, I'm not in any way kind of like blaming his death for my, me getting drunk every day. But I just think that I was in mourning, you know. It had been going on too long, my um, self-medication. And I just felt that I wasn't doing myself any favours. I wasn't doing my, you know, I, I would... I would lose all the arguments because I, I would just, I'd be um, in no fit state. You know, I'd just be like, I'd say something and then, you, you know what I mean? You, you, know, you know, there's nothing worse than having an argument with someone who's who's been drinking a lot. You know what I mean? Um, or, or drinking a bit, you know, drinking a bit. It's kind of really hard to sort of like, and I was that guy for a little bit. And not, no one really saw it apart from the band, but I would lose arguments. I would lose artistic decisions. I would lose. And then and then I started to not be great in my performances as well. And I didn't look great. And all those things, I just thought, it's time. I've got to stop. And uh, a friend of mine reached out and said, you know, if you want help, um, you know, I'm a recovering um, addict. And, um, and uh, if you want to come with me to uh, this place for a detox um kind of program then um then uh, then come and, and that and that extended hand just meant that the, the the decision was kind of like quite easy for me to make and it wasn't like aa or anything like that although i've never ruled that out i just i just you know i just knew that i was in a place that i didn't want to be in and i 
have quite an addictive personality. So it was supposed to be like a 21 day detox and, and I did it for three years. I mean, I did it, you know, just, just religiously. And then after that three years, I started meditating and I did that religiously. So I'm kind of, I know what I am. I'm kind of like, you know, you know I'm very impulsive, very, you know, I, I, you know, possibly an addictive personality. And, and, and I've been working on that uh, for a long time too. So I think I'm in a pretty good spot now, you know, really. I mean, I do things quite, you know, I do things, I'm pretty full on. Thank you, Tim, for taking the time to share your story. The listening parties live on in the Twitter universe, and now it's also a radio show slash podcast. Check the link in the show notes for more information on that. Tim continues to release new music as well, including last year's phenomenal Typical Music and 2020's I Love the New Sky, which included one of my favorite tracks of his, Empathy for the Devil. And if you're in the UK, they'll be touring there in the fall. I also want to thank the band Jeep Jeep for creating our brand new theme song. You can find out more about their music at jeepjeepmusic.com. And a friendly reminder that you can also buy my book on 80s musicians and where they are today, 80s Redux, and its sequel on 90s artists, Live Through That, wherever you buy your books. If you like this show, please subscribe so that you'll know when the latest episode comes out. And if you're so inclined, leave a good review as well. They always help. And you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at MikeHipplePhoto, all one word. Thanks for listening. We'll have more stories in the coming weeks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.